Hello, and thanks for listening into the Trinity Church Nottingham podcast. We're a church in Nottingham, England, with a vision to see the church on fire and the city alive. You're about to hear a message in a series called Thy Kingdom Come, where we're walking line by line through the Lord's Prayer. Now, I hope for this series that we'll be inspired and equipped to go deeper in the lifelong adventure of prayer. I hope you enjoy the message. Here we are in a new season. And a welcome, welcome to the new phase of life at Trinity. Uh, this isn't just uh, new for us though, is it? This is new for our whole society. This is a new normal. This is our first live stream service. We did a, a Lent prayer service live in the, in the week on Wednesdays. We're going to continue to do those. So please check in with those. Tell your friends just as we lean into a new way of praying. But also this is uh, our first Sunday. And we're going to be doing these probably for the foreseeable future. And I want to begin my message this morning, as, as many of you know I like to do, uh, with uh, a brief trip into Wikipedia land. And, uh, and I want to give you some information just now uh, about a place that you may have heard of and you may not have. It's called the Nullarbor Plain. This is typically in the service where I say, hands up if you've heard of the Nullarbor Plain. So hands up at home if you've heard of the Nullarbor Plain. Uh, now for those of you who haven't, don't worry. It's a little bit niche, this information. The Nullarbor Plain is, uh, well, the nullable word, the name at least, is Latin for, uh, it means literally no tree. And that gives you a sense of the kind of place that the nullable is. It is arid, it's flat country, and it's in South Australia. And it's on what's known as the Great Australian Bight Coast. You may be able to see that on the picture. Uh, and, and just the name, the Great Australian Bight Coast, it sort of gives you a picture of the kind of place it is. And it's got the Great Victorian Desert just to the north. So it's a desert place. It's an arid place. There aren't any trees. It's not the kind of place you expect life. Just in case you're interested, if you're a geographer uh, and you want to know this kind of thing, it's the world's largest exposure of limestone bedrock. And it stretches about 200,000 kilometers square at its, at its widest point. So it's a big space, it's a vast expanse, but it's not a place of life. It's a desert place. It's a wilderness. Now, I need to level with you. When my wife, Amy, who you've met, uh, was 21 years of age, she just finished university, and she and a friend were in Australia, and they made the decision that what they wanted to do was to buy a car in Perth, uh, with, uh, on the father's credit card, and drive across the entire country to Sydney, which for those of you who aren't maybe into geography is the other side of the country, passing through the Nullarbor Plain on the way. Now, this is a fairly sort of expansive and adventurous thing to be doing at the best of times, but I will say that uh, Amy and her friend uh, didn't maybe do the sort of preparation you would expect. They just bought the car sort of on the fly, as it were. They didn't, I asked Amy just the other day, how much water did you pack? She said, we didn't have any water. I said, did you have a spare tie? She said, I don't know. So the level of preparation that went into this wasn't perhaps the level of preparation you might anticipate would be required, but they went for it. Now, people die doing this sort of thing. And the, the questions that, now I'm a parent, the questions that maybe, you know, a parent you'd be asking, like, uh, are they going to make it? Uh, how are they going to get food? Where are they going to stay? All these sorts of questions that would keep a parent up at night. I don't even think they'd even assessed these questions. Sure enough, they made it. And I kid you not, as, they, as the car rolled into Sydney, it broke down. And they left it there. 
as far as we know, the car is still there, <laughs> racking up all kinds of fines. Now, this is Lent. We're in a period called Lent, for those that don't know. And uh, if you don't know anything about Lent, Lent is a time of the year where the church follows of Jesus, remember Jesus' journey into the wilderness. He went into the wilderness for 40 days, and it was a particularly important part of his preparation for life, for his ministry, for the way that he was going to bless people and the way he was going to serve the world. The wilderness was key. And we as the church, what we do every year through Lent is we join Jesus in the wilderness. We go there, as it were, with him to prepare ourselves for Easter. We're getting ready for this moment where God's power is released and we experience him in a new way through Lent. That's what Lent is all about. And we read in the Gospels that Jesus went into the wilderness led by the Spirit of God. And it's not only, though, for the church about remembering. In some way, uh, we, as I said, we join in with Jesus. We maybe take up new spiritual exercises. We, uh, we all go there. It's a guaranteed part of human experience to spend time in the wilderness. It's not just for people who do religion. So what is it for? What's the wilderness about? And what happens in the desert? What happens in the wild places? Well, the wilderness is a place of, if you like, enforced isolation, to use a phrase that we're now all familiar with that none of us had heard two weeks ago. And often the primary experience that we have in the wilderness is feeling a sense of distance from other people. That's often what these wilderness experiences are like. We feel maybe isolated, separated, distance. Maybe we feel misunderstood. Maybe the wilderness is a place where we feel misunderstood by other people. The wilderness is a time of challenge and change. Because we're distanced from other people, we have to face this one person, me and you. We have to face ourselves. And, and that can be a time of challenge for us because we face up to the people that we are and some of the ways that we've learned to behave, some of the ways that we've learned to get through life. We come up. Uh, face to face with those. Maybe we've been leaning on a certain person in our life and in a wilderness period, maybe, maybe we lose them. Maybe they, uh, they die. Maybe we're experiencing grief. Maybe that's what the wilderness looks like for us. Or perhaps uh, for some reason, maybe we get a diagnosis or we become distanced because we, we lose a job. Um, or maybe we've learned to sort of numb ourselves through entertainment and in the wilderness that doesn't work in the same way. Maybe our patterns of numbing ourselves, whether through entertainment, sex, drugs or something else, don't seem to cut it. The wilderness, therefore, is a place where the real us gets unmasked. We have to face up to who we are and what we've been living for. And the Bible calls this kind of place, this kind of process, calls it repentance. A turning around experience where we come uh, to a new orientation. It's a place of challenge. It's a place of change. Thirdly, it's a place of opportunity and hope. Because it's a place of challenge, the, the wilderness represents an opportunity for us. It's a place where, the, where the wilderness isn't a place where God isn't. The wilderness is a place where all we have is God. The place of God's presence. And that's the challenge, but that's also the reward. The reward of the wilderness is that we're face-to-face -face with God in a way that maybe we've never been before, and we have an opportunity to encounter Him and to have Him do 
work in us. Now, Amy chose the wilderness. Jesus was sent by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Many of us don't choose the wilderness. The wilderness chooses us. As I said, an experience in life maybe takes us there. But here's what I want you to hear. It is possible not just to survive a wilderness experience of the kind that we're each being thrown into now, but it is possible in the wilderness to thrive. The question I want to ask this morning is how do we do that? How do we have a transformational experience in the wilderness? Because the most important thing to hear about the wilderness is that however you go into the wilderness, the thing which is shared for every person is that they don't come out of it the same. So how can we ensure that we come out of our wilderness experience? The wilderness experience we're all in right now, leaning on God, transformed by him. And that brings us to the scripture that Amy read to us. And for those of you uh, who are new here, uh, we've been in a series on prayer for a few weeks now. And you can check in with what we've been teaching on that through our website and joining and looking back in our podcast. But what we read there is that Jesus is beginning to teach his disciples about prayer. And this is how the prayer itself begins. We've prayed it already. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It begins, the prayer begins with, if you like, Jesus telling the disciples where to address prayer. It begins with a view and a vision of who God is. Pray to the Father, this Abba Father. You've got to have an understanding, in other words, when you pray, of who you're praying to, that it is a good Father. He's the one you're praying to. Somebody who wants to hear your prayers, who's generous, who's kind, who's merciful, who's gracious, who's friendly. Not some stern uh, Father who's about to rebuke you for speaking, but somebody who wants to welcome you into his presence. But then alongside that, you need to understand that the father you're praying to, his name is holy. It says, hallowed be your name. This father is expansive and creative. He is eternal. He's majestic. He is our father in heaven. And once you've got that right, you need to understand that the priority in prayer is to locate your prayer life in the context of God's kingdom, to seek his will to be done, his kingdom to come, on earth as it is in heaven. And it's as if Jesus is saying, once you've locked all that in, you're ready to begin asking for stuff. Isn't it interesting how often we pray the Lord's Prayer backwards, as my friend says. We begin with, Lord, deliver me from evil. Lead me not into temptation. Forgive me, please. Can you also give me everything I need? And your name is holy. And you are a father. And actually, Jesus is saying, do it the other way around. But when we've done and had an understanding of who God is, we're ready to ask for daily bread. We're ready to engage with God and to petition Him for our needs. What does it mean to ask for daily bread? What does that even mean? You know, this phrase in itself doesn't mean much to us because for those of us who are, as many of us are, used to just walking into the fridge or opening up the fridge rather or the freezer and finding food maybe for the week ahead or for weeks or even months ahead if we've been very naughty and hoarding. Uh, this doesn't seem to make much sense to us. And it, um, if we've got, got food in the freezer or in the fridge, maybe we've got enough dough, if you like, in the bank account to see us through to the end of the month. But for these people who were the first people receiving Jesus' prayer, it's not like that. You know, for them, uh, they would go uh, day 
today, without food for tomorrow, they would show up in the morning, they would get work for the day, and at the end they'd be given food to buy, it's money rather, to buy their daily bread. It would be paid in bread. They, they'd literally get the bread for the day. That's a different posture, isn't it? That leads you to a different place. That leads you to a dependence on God that maybe many of us just aren't used to having and living in. It makes me think of the period of time where Amy and I lived uh, in California. And and if you went out to certain places uh, in Southern California where we lived, you would see people, often actually it was people who had come to California from Mexico. You'd see them by the side of the road waiting for, for work that day. And often people would come and say, hey, I have a job for you. And they'd go and they'd work for that day and they'd be paid for that day and then they'd go and feed their families. The story of God's people in the wilderness doesn't begin with Jesus. In fact, in the Old Testament, we see that God's people, Israel, God's family, uh, throughout the Old Testament, have their own wilderness journey. If you know the story, you know that they were rescued from slavery by God and they were transferred into uh, the promised land. But between those two places, they had a 40-year journey in isolation, in forced isolation, in the wilderness. And quite quickly what they realized is, was that if they were going to survive that period of time, they had to have daily bread. They had to depend on God in a completely new way. And they began to cry out to God for food and God answered them with bread. Bread on the floor, it was known as manna. Manna from heaven, a bread-like substance that was able to sustain them. And they would go out every morning and they'd find it And uh, they were told not to take some for tomorrow, not to hoard, in other words, uh, uh, but actually just to take enough for today. And they would be fed. The wilderness for Israel was a gift. It made them the kind of nation they needed to be. It taught them to depend on God in a completely fresh way. It was there they learned that dependence. And it was there that God did work within them, which enabled them to follow him for generations to come. And so, the wilderness was not all about isolation. God doesn't take people into the wilderness to punish them. That's not the kind of father he is. The the wilderness experience is about transformation. God takes us and allows us to go into these times of wilderness because he wants to work on us to bring us greater freedom, to bring us greater joy, to bring us greater life and hope and peace. And as we as people, as a whole nation, as nations across the world enter into the wilderness, I want to say that there is an opportunity for transformation in us as we do that. That's what God wants. There will be fear for us, for people we know. There will be fear in this time of isolation. There will be uncertainty. But it is possible to thrive. It is possible in this season for us to grow in intimacy with God It is possible for us to grow in connection to each other, albeit in a different way. It is possible for us to put down practices, levels of dependence on God that will see us through not just this season, but every season. And if we can learn as the church, as the people of God, to thrive in this time, what would be possible for us in the days, the years, for generations? What what could be released into our children in terms of an attitude of dependence and life? 
life and faith, what could be changed in the attitude and the atmosphere of our cities, of our nations, if we learn in this season to hunker down into God? And the good news about the wilderness is that, it's Je- that Jesus Christ has gone there already. He went into the wilderness on our behalf, and guys, he nailed it. He smashed it. He learned to thrive in the wilderness, and he left the wilderness empowered by God's Spirit. And he lived, and he died, and he was raised for you, and he was raised for me. And because of him, we need not be afraid in the wilderness. Because of him, every single one of us can be assured that when we are in the wilderness, we are not in the wilderness alone. We are in the wilderness with him. He is there with us, holding our hands, supporting us, teaching us, leading us, giving us his peace. No man, woman, or child enters into the wilderness alone if they enter the wilderness with Jesus. And in fact, we need not be afraid of starving in the wilderness. We can be assured of thriving. Why? Because he gives us daily bread. In fact, he is our daily bread. He is the manner through which God feeds us. We go into the wilderness with him. He promises to feed us with his bread, which is his own body. Through his body, which is the church, our friends walking with him in faith. So what is our response to this? Our response is to ask to be fed by his bread. To learn to come to Jesus for daily bread. He is the bread of life. He is the one, able, he has sufficient resource for every person in every city at the same time to be fed with living bread. And those who come to him, he says, will never go hungry. They'll never go thirsty. The bread he gives will never run out. We experience his bread through prayer. We experience his bread as we come to one another with our weakness, with our questions, with our laments, and with our hope and with our praise. The church is his body. And though we're separate from each other at this time, we're not isolated from one another. Church, any of you who are listening, now is not the time to develop a Netflix habit. There are some good things to see, uh, by the way, but it's not time to develop a Netflix habit. Now is not the time to develop a chocolate addiction. It's not a time to find out all the depths of YouTube. It it is not a time for any of those things. It's not a time to develop a porn habit. Now is a time to develop a prayer habit. Now is a time to discover where the manna is, where the bread is for today. Let me tell you, it's there for each of us as we learn to pray, as we lean into prayer. Church, if you don't have anyone listening, if you don't have a prayer habit, consider the possibility that you can learn one now. Why don't we start by praying? Just pray. Should we pray to him? Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray now. Jesus, I pray. You say, Jesus, that you are the bread of heaven. We believe that. You are the bread given by the Father. Enough 
You are enough. There is enough of you to go around. And Lord, anybody who comes to you need never be worried of being turned away empty-handed. More than that, God, you say in Isaiah 55 that we can come and we can have that bread without money and without price because you've already paid for it. In your death on the cross, you paid for us to have bread. You paid for, you paid for us to be fed with your own life. There's nothing. I want to say this to you now, church, as we pray, that there's nothing you can do to secure this bread for yourself. It is free for you. Wherever you're watching this, this bread is given free for you. It's his gift. And you simply receive it by receiving. So take the bread that is Jesus. Receive him. And I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And I want to encourage you just to pray this in your heart. Father God, I receive this bread. I receive Jesus as my food. Teach me to feed on him. And transform me. Give me life in this wilderness time. Fill me with your spirit. Renew me from within. Connect me with your church. Amen. Thanks for listening to some of our teaching here at Trinity. We hope it's blessed you. If you live in the city or live outside of Nottingham and want to connect more with the church, check out some of our practices and pathways on our website. We call them one, few, company, and many. We're passionate about encountering Jesus, becoming like him, and doing the things that he did, both individually and in our lives together, so that we may see the church on fire and the city come alive. You can find these on our website under the Connect tab. Thanks for listening. Thank you.